0: Welcome again to the Geek Tastic Dad podcast. My name is Jason. I'm your friendly neighborhood geek and father of a daughter. So if you missed my general introduction in, of Dungeons & Dragons, check out episode 6. I've decided to do a run on D&D 5th edition material, starting with the player's handbook. This should definitely keep me busy for a while. So in this episode, we're going to start with chapter 1, which is the basically the step-by-step character creation guide. While sites like D&D Beyond make this virtually unnecessary to know, I still think it's helpful to understand how it comes together so you can roleplay your character better. So I'll be going through various parts of the first chapter, highlighting what I think is important. And the first chapter basically includes races, classes, ability scores, describing your character, equipment, bringing it all together, and then beyond first level. It's all a very generic overview of and has references to other chapters, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Of course, if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, email me at podcast at geektasticdad.com. Again, that's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at geektasticdad.com. Be sure to visit me on social media. Uh, you can get all of my social media in one place. It's link slash social for a list of our social media pages. Please like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever. Uh, you can get a full list of platforms that I'm on at geektastic.link podcast. I had somebody tell me that I read through those too fast. So hopefully that's better. Uh, if you enjoy this and would like to help fund this crazy habit of mine, you can always visit geektastic.link support. Again, thank you for joining me and let's get started. Thank you again for tuning into my podcast. Hopefully you like the new intro music. Um, As I said before, I'm going to go over the first chapter of the player's handbook, which outlines the basics on how to create a character. To me, the creation of a character is a sacred ritual, not to be taken lightly at all, which is why I have so many character sheets that I haven't used. Hey, don't judge me, I know you all do it too. Some people prefer to build a character based on what the game needs. Do they need a rogue? Do they need a magic, you know, a spell slinger? But I prefer to build out a character starting with the personality and attributes I want this character to embody. Will he or she be quiet and mysterious, boisterous and loud, or maybe a tormented soul? That's always fun. Imagining this helps me choose the race and class better and helps me start on a strategy to understanding a character. We'll talk more about the different core races in more detail when we get to chapter 2, which will be the next podcast. But there are nine core races in the Player's Handbook. Again, remember the Player's Handbook is one of the three core rule, rule books. Some of them have subraces, and humans have a variant. Uh, basically, a subrace adds a trait to the core race, whereas a variant explicitly replaces traits. This will become more clear in the next podcast, again, chapter 2, Uh, Just know that most of them have sub-races and humans have a variant. These specific racial traits will factor more into the character you want to build. So let's take dwarves for an example. The player's handbook starts by providing some summary-level information about the race. The dwarves, for example, uh, they're short, stout, hardy, and skilled warriors. Dwarves have a long memory and they definitely hold grudges. If you want the crotchety old guy, get a dwarf. Dwarves also belong to clans and kingdoms, and they are fiercely loyal to them even when they're out adventuring. And let's not forget that dwarves love treasure, and they often, you know, they're often found being inspired by some deity. This stuff is important to know so you can fit it into the vision of your character. Remember, you have to roleplay this character, which means you're going to have to pretend to be this character night after night as you play the game. So you absolutely should know about the race and how it will impact how you roleplay your character based on its cultural backgrounds. I know it seems like a lot, huh? But it's not. It's it's not. I promise. It's fun. Part of creating a character is giving the character a name. Now, there are some suggestions in the player's handbook, but I kind of feel like the game would be pretty boring if everyone used those all the time. I prefer to go to the fantasy name generator. You can see the show notes. I have a link there. Uh, and start generating names to see what comes up. And you can do variants of that and play around with it. Who knows? Maybe you'll play Docile Iron Clock, Or if you prefer, a mist, Smelt Smeltcloak. I like to pick names that are fun and usually easy to say. Maybe they have a neat nickname buried in them. Who knows? Never underestimate the importance of a good character name. The last part of each uh, race and probably the beefiest is the racial traits. For dwarves, it includes like a constitution score increase, the age of dwarves, it talks about the age of the different characters. So, dwarves live to be about 350 years, uh, what their normal alignment is, their size, their speed, various other attributes specific to dwarves. The last part of the race selection talks about sub races like hill dwarves and mountain dwarves. So, that's the extensive part sometimes. Uh, and, and as we discussed before. Uh, these can add even more ability score increases and more attributes. For example, hill dwarves have a keen sense and intuition, so they have an additional wisdom ability score increase. So hopefully that gives you kind of a quick rundown on races. Now we'll move into choosing a class. The Player's Handbook explains that every character is a member of some class, which basically describes a character's vocation, uh, which influences what talents as well as weaknesses your character will have. For example, a wizard will have a high intelligence, which will impact knowledge skill like history, arcana, religion, uh, as well as the ability to investigate things. Most wizards are fairly squishy, meaning they die easy if hit. Because they don't have a high constitution or strength in most cases, you won't see a wizard charging into battle with a broadsword. Okay, Maybe maybe you will, but it won't go well. Classes bring various benefits and certain proficiencies. A rogue has sneak attack, meaning that if they catch you by surprise, they do more damage. Fighters have action surge, and they can push beyond their normal abilities to take an additional attack in a round. A monk gets unarmored defense, so your fellow monk won't need any armor because their martial arts training will protect them. As you go up in levels, you also get more and more of these benefits, as well as opportunities to take ability score increases or what they call features or feats. We'll talk more about feats in Chapter 6. So one part of every class is what's called hit points or HP. This basically determines how much damage you can take before you die. Each class has a specific hit die, which is a die that you roll every time you level up and add more hit points. So, for example, I've got a barbarian. He's got a 1d12 hit die, meaning uh, you know every level you're going to roll a d12, which is a 12 sided die, to determine how many hit points you gain. Constitution also plays into hit points because your con bonus is added to the die roll uh, every level. So, my barbarian just leveled up. He has a con bonus or a constitution score of 17, which gives him a con bonus of plus 3. I roll my d12, my 12-sided die, I get a 10. Then I add that 3 to it because of my con bonus, and my total hit points for that level increase by 13. Make sense? Some characters are tougher than others. For example, a wizard has a hit die of 1d6. Yep, half the barbarians hit points. This is why we call them squishy. So the next thing we'll talk about is proficiency bonus. Uh, before I mention proficiencies, now there's a variable in 5th edition called proficiency bonus. Proficiency bonuses impact a number of things, including attack rolls, spells, uh, checks, saving throws, uh, saving throw DCs for spells, and so on. The catch is you must be quote-unquote proficient uh, with whatever you're doing in order to gain this bonus. Classes have specific weapon proficiencies, saving throw proficiencies, etc. At level 1, you get a proficiency bonus of plus 2, meaning you add 2 to any die roll for those things you are proficient in. Let's take another example. Let's say I have a rogue who is proficient in investigation and investigation is determined by my intelligence. If I have an intelligence of plus two without any proficiency bonus, I add plus two to any investigation role. Now if I'm proficient with investigation, I add another plus two for a total of plus four. So the proficiency bonus stacks on whatever bonuses you already have for any given skill or attack or whatever. There's also something called expertise, and this is where you double the proficiency bonus. So if I had expertise in investigation, my bonus is now plus six. I get plus two for intelligence, plus two for proficiency, and another plus two because I double my proficiency for expertise. Being mindful of what your character is good at and make sure it fits within the personality you wish to portray in this character. If your character is shy and quiet and reserved, having a proficiency or expertise in performance doesn't really fit the character's personality. If you choose to roleplay it that way, it's fun to find a story or a personality trait that helps make that make sense, or just something within your character's built. That's all. So now moving on to ability scores. Most of what your character does in game will be determined by the six ability scores, which are strength, dexterity, Constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. I'll go through all six of these and try to explain what they mean and then um, tell you how you get them or how you get those scores when you set up your character. So, strength is obviously measures your character's strength, Um, but in game, it also determines your natural athleticism as well as how powerful your body is and how much you can carry. If you want to kick open a door, That will be determined by a strength check, meaning you roll a d20, add your strength modifier, and that'll determine whether or not you kick kick the door in. Characters that need a good strength include barbarians, fighters, and paladins because they are warriors. Sometimes we call these guys meat shields. Okay, we usually call them meat shields. But the guy or gal uh, running into melee screaming death or glory is what you'd find in one of these characters. And every party should have a good meat shield, I'm just, I'm just saying. Remember when we talked about special traits or certain races, aka racial traits, mountain dwarves, dragonborn, half-orc, all have pretty decent bonuses to strength, a plus two. And humans have a plus one bonus to strength. So if you want a good warrior class, it, it helps to pick a race that is strong. It's not required, but it's often a good idea. Moving on to dexterity. This is an easy one. Dexterity obviously determines your character's speed, reflexes, and balance. This is more of a finesse than force kind of thing. And if you want to be sneaky, quiet, and agile, you want a high dex score. Classes that rely heavily on dex are monks, rangers, and rogues. And races that favor dexterity bonuses include elves, halflings, forest gnomes, and again, humans. So Constitution. Constitution is your stamina, your health, a.k.a. hit points, and what the player handbook calls vital force. Some things require constitution saving throws, such as being poisoned. If you succeed, oftentimes you fight off the poison or even disease. Ironically, there aren't any core skills that rely uh, on con, but it is still pretty important for the hit points, which is why the player's handbook says that con is important for everyone. Races that give bonuses to constitution are dwarves, stout halflings, rock gnomes, half orcs, and yeah, humans. Are you sensing a theme here? Um, I will say that despite what the Player Handbook says, if you are going to have a melee character, a fighter, a barbarian, a paladin, then you want to beef up your con because you need those hit points. You're gonna be you're gonna be hit a lot. You're gonna be punched on, stabbed and bludgeoned and whatnot. Now, a quick sidebar, you'll notice that I've thrown in some additional classifications like rock gnomes or stout halflings. Now, these are all subraces. We talked about that. So basically, if there's an adjective in front of it, then it's probably a subrace. If there's a hyphenation there, not so much. So what I mean is you'll see half elf, half hyphen elf. This is not a subrace of elves. It is a separate race. Same with half orcs. If you're not sure, best to check the races in the player's handbook, but just a little sidebar there. So, intelligence. Obviously, intelligence measures your IQ, specifically your mental acuity, information recall, and analytical skills. How smart you are is all about intelligence. And there are a number of knowledge-based skills that use intelligence. We've talked about some of these already. Uh, History, arcana, investigation. If it's knowing something out of the book or remembering something, it's probably intelligence you're looking for. Now, wizards are the only class that need a high intelligence because their magic is based off learning and studying. They have to memorize spells and learn stuff all the time. Races that offer a high intelligence bonus are high elves, gnomes, tieflings, and uh, yeah, humans again. All right. So wisdom, Uh, where book learning is to intelligence, life learning is to wisdom. Wisdom is all about awareness, intuition, and insight. If you want to check to see if someone is lying to you, it's wisdom. If you want to see if you perceive anything, it's wisdom. If you want to train uh, and ride a horse, wisdom. Characters can have a low intelligence, but still have an ability to be very intuitive and understanding. Clerics and druids lean heavily on wisdom because their magic is based on the wisdom score, so it's very important to them. Races that provide bonuses for wisdom include hill dwarves, wood elves, and... Do I need to say it? Yeah. Humans. Charisma. like the, the, Okay, the last ability is Charisma Score. Um, it is pretty much what you'd expect. It's your confidence, eloquence, and leadership per the player's handbook. However, I like to also think of charisma as your presence, because having a high charisma does not mean you are attractive uh, or even likable. It means you have presence. I say this because intimidation skill is based on charisma and while a half-orc barbarian may not be much to look at i'm guessing they are crazy scary so they can have a high charisma and not be pretty Uh, sorry to all the orcs out there bards sorcerers and warlocks all draw their magic from charisma so it's important to them races that provide a bonus to charisma include half-elves drow lightfoot halfling and dragonborn and tiefling oh yeah and humans There you go. So as I mentioned, uh, ability score modifiers a little bit, but what exactly are they? Okay, so the higher an ability score is, the more benefit it provides to the character. If you have a high dex, um, you've got great reflexes, and it has to be demonstrated on the character sheet somewhere. So we have an ability score modifier ranging from negative 5 to positive 30, and it's based on your ability score. So if you have an ability score between 14 and 15, your modifier is plus 2. But if you have an ability score between 20 and 21, your modifier is plus 5. Under the right circumstances, this can stack pretty quickly. So let's say you have a plus 5 modifier and expertise at level 1. You now have a plus 9 to that skill modified by that expertise ability. We'll discuss how these 6 abilities are used in-game more when we reach chapter 7 of the Player's Handbook. So... Uh, I mentioned getting your ability scores. Now, there's a few ways to get your ability scores. In my games, I have my players roll four D6 dice, and I allow them to reroll ones. They add the top three. They do this six separate times, so they get six numbers they'll need uh, for the ability scores. When when they get those numbers, they start plugging them into their character sheet in a way that best fits their character. If you prefer less uncertainty as a DM, you can use what's called the point buy system. Not a huge fan of this, but some people like it because it ensures that all characters have an equitable distribution of their abilities. To use the point buy system, you basically start with 27 points to spend on your ability scores. The scores deduct points from the 27, and you distribute them in a way that spends all the 27 points. So if you want a 15 in your decks which is the highest score you can have in the point by system, you have to subtract 9 from the 27. If you want to keep the scores even uh, across the board, across all your abilities, you'll end up with uh, 12s and 13s um, uh, across all six of them. Another method is to use a standard array of 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So everybody gets those same scores. And you just place them where they need to be that fits your character the best. Now, I'm a fan of the roll method because not all heroes are created the same. But I also believe in being true to your dice. If you roll an 8, you find a way to work that into your character somehow. But, or you pick a race that will bump that 8 to 10 by having a plus 2 the uh, racial ability score modifier. I enjoy the uncertainty myself. So now we move on to describing your character. I will admit I've never played 4th edition D&D but for for a long time I did play 3rd edition and I feel like they put a lot more tools in front of you to help you build out your character's personality and background in 5th edition. That being said, I'm not entirely sure this is a good thing or not. The first thing is you need to choose your character's alignment, which determines how your character will make decisions morally. Alignment is nothing new, it's been around for a while and it there are nine basic alignments ranging from uh, lawful good to chaotic evil and everything in between, uh, all the way to true neutral. Now, we'll get into character details a lot more when we get into Chapter 4, so we'll understand these these alignments better when we get there. Um, but feel free to skip ahead if you want to know more before then. Go ahead and grab the player's handbook and read ahead. In addition to alignment, they've added ideals, bonds, and flaws. Ideals is basically the one thing that your character believes most strongly and drives your character. It is the foundation for his or her moral compass. Bonds represent your character's connection to the world around her or around him. This is what inspires your character and determines who or what your character cares about the most. Finally, flaws are are your character's undoing, and it represents a vice, compulsion, fear, or some other weakness that someone could exploit to ruin your character. While I appreciate the intent, I almost feel like the ideals, bonds, and flaws are too much handholding and create an unnecessary burden while creating a character. Uh, in a way, at the same time, they also encompass things you definitely need to know to roleplay your character, uh, at least to roleplay it well. Thus the love-hate relationship I have with how five edition or fifth edition expanded from just alignments to all of this. Finally, you have to determine your character's background, which is essentially the results of your origin story. You can use the cookie cutter backgrounds that are in the player's handbook in chapter four, or you can create your own by choosing one feat, two skills, and a total of two tool proficiencies or languages from any of the samples they provide. Most of these backgrounds also include some equipment and to make things worse, each background has a list of personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. You can simply roll to choose. And this is where I really object because it removes a lot of the creativity of building a character. It really is a lot more packed into chapter four. So I'll leave this section here for now and we'll move on to choosing your equipment. The game assumes your character starts with something, so you're not completely penniless and naked living on the street. There are a number of starting packages that we'll discuss when we get to chapter 5, but they include most of the items your character needs to get started based on the class you choose, and they toss in a few gold to boot. Keep in mind that there are limits to what you can carry, this goes back to strength, they call it encumbrance, and it's based on your strength ability score. Basically, you can carry 15 times your strength score, so if you have a strength of 12, you can carry 180 pounds of gear. If you're really strong, you have a strength of 18, then you can cart around 270 pounds of gear without becoming encumbered. We'll talk about carrying capacities more in Chapter 7. This section also discusses the differences between melee and ranged weapons and how your modifier is applied. So melee weapons are modified by your strength score, for the most part, for both attack and damage rolls. But if the weapon is labeled as finesse, like a rapier, then you can use your dex modifier instead, should that be better. For ranged weapons, you use your dex modifier for attack damage rolls, unless the weapon has a thrown property, such as a dagger or a hand axe, in which you can use your strength modifier instead. Sounds a little confusing, but you'll get there. What I really want to touch on in this section is the armor class, or AC. We've talked a little bit already about it, but your AC determines how good your character is at not being hit by things and wounded in battle. There's a lot that can factor into AC, like your armor, shield, your dex modifier, even your class, because not all characters wear armor. Monks actually get a bonus for not wearing armor. Without any of the benefits of armor, shields, etc., your character starts with a base armor class of 10 plus your dex modifier. When you add armor, the armor will add bonuses to that as well plus 2, plus 1, plus 3. There are spells that will improve your AC as well as magic items. And the quality of the equipment will also give you bonuses if it's magical or high quality equipment. The takeaway is that when you are engaged in battle you want the best ac you can get without causing any disadvantages so as this all comes together remember that in most dnd campaigns you are not alone meaning there are other other people playing characters with different races and classes and they make up a party when this group comes together you should be mindful of how you work together and you'll find a balance with everyone's strengths and weaknesses I know I said you should roll up a character you want, um, but let's keep in mind that if everyone in the party is a fighter, then you have no one to sneak around and check for traps like a rogue. You won't have any healers for those really bad encounters, and you won't have any magic users to detect magic or dispel magic effects. So I guess what I'm going to do is revise my previous comment and suggest that you identify a few races and classes, combinations that you like, uh, so that there's some wiggle room when you get into a group and they already have three magic users, for example. As you adventure, you gain experience points. Uh, When you hit a certain number, your characters level up, kind of like a video game. The characters range from level one to 20 in most campaigns, though back in my third edition days, you could actually run what they called an epic campaign. In fact, they had an epic level handbook, which took characters from levels 21 to 30. In 5th edition, I haven't really seen anything like that yet. In fact, I think most people consider Tier 4, levels 17 through 20, to be the epic in 5e. As I was saying, you gain experience and increase your levels. Uh, You start gaining the option of taking feats or ability score increases. Plus, every time you level up, you roll your hit die and increase your hit points so you can be strong and take more abuse before you die. If you're reading through the first part of the uh, I'm sorry, the, the first chapter of the player's handbook. Take a look at the level tiers as well as the experience points boundaries. It's, it's interesting. I should also mention that some DMs prefer to use a milestone method of leveling up. So instead of gaining experience and hitting those level thresholds, uh, there are specific parts of the game where you level up, which are determined by specific milestones. For example, maybe one of the milestones is to fight a young dragon. And once you do, you're granted the privilege of leveling up. Personally, I don't like the milestone method. I feel that half the fun of ending a campaign is getting that glorious experience from your DM and trying to figure out what you're going to do next with your character as you get close to crossing the border into the next level. That's just me, though. To each his own, right? So that's it for this episode. Thank you again for joining me, and I hope this was fun and informative, and I'll be doing more of these soon. Uh, Be sure to like and share this podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you have comments or suggestions, again, you can email me at podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at GeekTasticDad.com. You can also catch me on social media. Go to GeekTastic.link slash social to get a list of my social media pages. Uh, Please like and subscribe my podcast on your favorite app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Remember to be kind to one another, be safe, and definitely be Geektastic every moment you get. Until our next adventure, this is Geektastic Dad saying, Fare thee well, brave hero.